All right, so I'm Gordy. People call me Gordo. And I'm not the head pastor here. I am just like you guys. But I am going to bring the word of the Lord to you this morning. It's not my words. It's God's words. So it doesn't matter what the preacher looks like or how much he knows uh, educationally wise. I mean, that helps maybe, but... uh, when I was talking to the pastor about this, I said, the word of God speaks for itself, and uh, I just got to get out of the way. So we're going to be going through Acts today, and, and I'm going to start off by talking about power. So we all uh, like power. I mean, you got that home improvement show that talks about more power, and it's funny. Um, but we all like power, and we like control over our environment. And we like influence over our environment and other people and our future. We don't want to have control of our future as well. And uh, because of that, a lot of times, um, well, all the time, I like gadgets and gizmos. So I'm the ultimate gizmo gadget guy. I mean, guys are this way. They like buying little hoodoos that, you know, um, flint and steel, fancy fire starter, because I like to camp out. My latest one is a, uh, a solo stove. If you guys ever heard of a solo stove, it's awesome, okay? Uh, now, the first one was these little guys like that, and it's a, it's a science project, and it's like gasification stove, so it doesn't have smoke or sparks. It's the only stove that's allowed in the, in the uh, Rocky Mountain National Forest because it's a, it is, reduces fire danger. Um, but to me, it's a gizmo, and it works like a champ. And that's make cooking my uh, meal up on a 9,200-foot peak in New Mexico a couple of weeks ago with the Trail Life Troop that I was working with. And that's my little lean-to that I put up for the sun. And uh, I, uh, I, I've, I always carry the little rain fly with me, and I've got a, a walking stick, and it was raining every afternoon. It's monsoon season there in, in, the, in the mountains of New Mexico. And, so uh, I put that up, and that's, that was what I slept on. I slept on the ground. I usually don't put a tent up unless there's going to be rain. And that tent will act, that lean-to will actually hold four 16-year-old boys and me all eating our lunch while it's raining outside because none of them put their tents up in time. Um, I'd later like, should I put the tent up? I'm like, well, I'm going to put something up. I'm like, oh, I think we've got time. No. So they all stuffed in there, and, and it was just fine. Anyway, so gadgets and gizmos. We are tool users. We have opposable thumbs. We use tools to uh, enhance our bodies, enhance our uh, things that we do, whether it's a skill saw, uh, power drill, a hammer, uh, anything, a knife. All those things enhance our own abilities and allow us to do things easier, uh, we as human beings. And sometimes um, we're better than others at doing certain things. Sometimes we learn techniques that help us uh, do things better than other people, right? And we desire power. We desire the ability to have control over our future, uh, to have control over other people, and uh, to have control over our pets, for sure. You know, pets are the one thing that really, uh, dogs, raising a dog is, is ones that makes you, you should all have to have a dog before you have a kid. So it teaches you, pa- the, uh, it teaches you patience, it teaches you the extent of your own anger, okay? And uh, you can, how easy it is for you to lose control. And then when you have kids, you go, oh, I remember this. 
I'm not going to get really mad at my kid because he can't help it. He's just a baby. Uh, but anyway, uh, we have, uh, like I said, we're tool users, and we like to have control, and these tools help us. So uh, I'm going to start off with um, our lesson is today goes over Acts 19, 11 through 22. If you want to open your Bibles to Acts uh, 19, we uh, finished up last week with the pastor, and he was talking uh, the beginning of Acts. And at the end, he was talking about how they went through Corinth and whole Asia, and they were gathering influence, uh, Paul was, as he was preaching to the Gentiles. Now, uh, in verse, uh, in, in uh, Acts, 19, or, uh, Acts chapter 19, he says, uh, Paul, or the Lord, was, let me get the word of God here. It says, God wrought special miracles, extraordinary miracles performed at the hands of Paul. Okay? Now, the wording here, this is God's word. And in, Acts, in uh, Hebrews 4, it says, the word of God, those of you in my Sunday school class have heard me say this before, the word of God is alive and powerful, and it is sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It is a revealer of the intents and thoughts of my heart. So the word of God is alive and powerful. In, 1 John, in John chapter 1, it says the word of God is actually Jesus. The word in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. And, and it's, it talks about that, that word was the light among men, and the word, the light became flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among men. That was Jesus. So this is a written embodiment of the Word of God, which is, which is Jesus, okay? Um, so the wording here says there were extraordinary miracles performed at the hands of Paul. And I'm going to come back to that. That wording is specific, and it's important. So now, he says, so that from his body they were brought unto the sick, handkerchiefs or aprons and the diseases departed them and the evil spirits went out of them so basically like he had, if he had a handkerchief or an apron because he was a, a tent maker so he worked Paul worked he wasn't just a preacher alone he worked to, to earn his money as well uh, so these articles of clothing would be brought that had touched Paul and brought to these people and it would heal him kind of sounds miraculous it's, it is a miracle extraordinary miracles at the hand of God was performing miracles at the hand of Paul. So, um, I'm sorry if I'm yelling louder here. It says, in verse 13, Then certain of the, of the vagabond Jews, this is the King James, says vagabond Jews. And in other chapters, it says, other versions, it says something else, but it says vagabond Jews, exorcists. They took upon them to call over the people which had evil spirits, the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We command you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. And the evil spirit answered and said, to Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? And the man in the, whom the evil spirit was, he leaped on these men, and he, he overcame them and beat them up. And they, uh, they fled the house naked and wounded by this person who was, uh, had an evil spirit. And, it, and then it says, and this was known through all the Jews and the Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them at the name of the Lord Jesus. And the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many believed that came and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them, and I'm, I'll stop right there because it talks about what they did. 
All right, so these vagabond Jews, these exorcists, these would-be charlatans, they said, and these guys were called the seven sons of Sceva. Now, in some of the historical writings, they talk about these were chief priests. They claimed to be chief priests, Jewish chief priests, and they went around performing miracles. And so when they saw Paul doing the same, doing, you know, basically these guys were... Um, Paul was exercising spirits. He was healing the sick. And they realized that he always said, in the name of Jesus Christ. All right? He was using the name of Christ. So these guys said, hey, they copied him. They said, we're going to do the same thing. And uh, P.T. Barnum said, there's a sucker born every minute. Okay? So th this is talking about, you know, people are easily fool sometimes. And these Jews, Jewish exorcists, were fooling people and they, were, they thought, well, we're going to use, the, we've seen these miraculous things happening from Paul, we're going to try the same thing. And it backfired on them. Why did it backfire on them? I mean, they used the name of Jesus, right? They said, you know, we, we, we command you in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches, come out of him. And the evil spirit goes, well, I know Paul and I know Jesus, but I don't know you. And he beat them up, and didn't. And they were they were just, they were overcome. What was the difference? What do you think? The difference was a relationship. They didn't. Okay. Well, digress a little bit. At the time, the Ephesians were afraid of evil spirits. They were in the center of idolatry. So they were doing things like. Uh, they had guys that would sell amulets that were special magical amulets that would protect them against evil spirits. They had ceremonies where these people would say um, they would invite powerful good spirits into them or into their house to protect them against the evil spirits. What they didn't realize, they were, they were inviting evil spirits in to protect them from evil spirits and they were giving themselves over to the influence of demons. And, and things that were not of God. They didn't know any better. They were afraid. They wanted power. They wanted protection. They wanted security. Okay, we, we have security cameras around the outside of the church, right? Well, people have alarm systems on their house. Um, people, some people hire bodyguards for security. We want security. We want security. We don't, we don't, wanna, we don't wanna be hurt. We don't wanna be overcome by robbers. We don't wanna have sickness, so we take vitamins and we take medicine things like that so this is a natural fear that these Ephesians had but they were going to the darker side and they didn't know about Christ and Paul had been commissioned by God on the road to Damascus to go to the Gentiles the people who are not Jews and that's what he was preaching okay so is today any different Okay, it didn't work for these guys, these charlatans, these sorcerers or exorcists, vagabond Jews is what it says in the King James Version. 20 years ago, there was a televangelist. He would go on, the, on he, he, read, he read the word of God, and it said they were taking handkerchiefs and articles and aprons, and they would touch the sick, and they'd be healed. And this guy went, Hey, that's a good idea. And he said, he went on TV. This guy's name was Robert Tilton. He went on TV and said, if you send me money, I will 
pray over this handkerchief that has touched my body and I will send it to you and you can put it on your body and it will heal you. You can put it on your knee. If it's Same exact thing. Same exact thing. There's no difference between him and these charlatan Jews. They were doing it for power. They were using it for influence. If you pay me, I'll exercise this demon. Paul did not do that. Paul was there for, to save people to go to heaven, not to make money, not for gain or glory. Um, there was another evangelist, quote evangelist, uh, probably 15 or 20 years ago. And I'll, he has a tower up in Oklahoma. And he said, if you, uh, he read uh, Acts chapter 5, where Peter was performing great deeds and miracles to the Jews. And uh, people would br come out and lay their sick relatives in the street and hope, with hopes that the shadow of, as Peter walked by, his shadow would pass him. As if that was, it didn't say that it healed him, but they were, that was what they were hoping. So this guy up in Oklahoma said, hey, if you send me money to pay for this, whatever thing I'm doing, I, and you take a picture of yourself, a photo, and send it to me, my son and I will lay it on the ground, in this, and when the sun is right, we will walk, and we will pray over these pictures of you, and when our shadows pass it, you'll be healed if you send me money. No different than these Jewish harlotans, these charlatans, no different than these vagabonds. It's a natural desire to want protection. It's also a natural desire to want power and influence. But it will come to naught. These, these guys were overcome by the evil spirits. I don't know what happened. I know Robert Tilton ended up going to jail uh, for stealing. And I'm not sure about the other guy. I know he died. But um, there's things around us in us modern world. You think we're not, you know, they, religion is not necessarily popular in America today. Uh, it's, it's, it, it, let me rephrase that. Christianity is not very popular today. Satan has rebranded us as the judges. He's rebranded us as, as uh, if you do this, you're going to die, or you're a sinner, you're going to hell. When actually Jesus, God, is not our accuser. He, Satan is the accuser. Jesus is saying, I want to save you. He's saying, he, when, when you accept Christ as your personal Savior, Jesus stands before the judgment seat and says, I paid his price. He's innocent. He's, he's, he's good. He's not an accuser. He's not a judger. He's your savior. So, but Satan likes to rebrand things. We have witchcraft. We have occult, supernatural crystals, mediums, spiritus, and everything that goes along with that. But where is the actual battle? Okay. Let's all turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Let's, let's read verse 12 to begin with. Ephesians 6 is a great, uh, it's no, no coincidence that we're also going through this in our Sunday school classes that meets at 9 o'clock in the morning uh, on Sundays. Verse 12 says, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against the spiritual wickedness in high places. This is the battle right here. So these guys were actually trying to exercise evil demons. So there are bad evil, there's, there's bad spirits out there, right? And we don't wrestle against people. It's, it's demonic influences and forces. Satan is the prince of this world, right? So who is fighting? Who is actually fighting that battle? I ask you that because we, as Christians, 
we, I love to hear that verse where it says, in, in um, Luke, Jesus took 70 disciples and he gave them authority over demons. And they went out and they were able to cast out demons in, in the name of Jesus. And they came back and they were really excited. They were like, man, this was awesome, God. Um, these, I, we have authority over the demons. And they were excited because they had power, right? Jesus had given them power. And Jesus immediately, immediately, he said, hold on just a second, okay? Don't get cocky. It's not about you. It's about me. He said, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. The big picture. What's really important? What should you be rejoicing? Is that you, your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That you have said, I am a sinner, God, and I can't make it on my own. That you have said, I repent of my ways, and I want to come back to you, God. I want you to be my Lord and Savior, and I ask you into my heart as my Lord and Savior. That's the important thing. Not that you have power. But, you know, for me to say, well, I accept Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior and be saved, that doesn't have any outward awesomeness. Like, I don't have this aura flying around me, you know, or a crown that everybody can see or uh, something that, is, that, that can impress other people, like having control over spirits and demons, right? That's, we, that's very seductive. Uh, we, uh, power and influence is seductive. That's why we have politicians up in Washington that are rotten to the core. Not all of them, but... Well, if you can name me one that's not, but, you know, it, power and influence, power, money, and influence, it, it corrupts, and it's natural, okay? We shouldn't be surprised when someone gets corrupt when they got a lot of power, right? He goes on to say in Luke chapter 10 and verse 20, he says, what is greater than the authority over demons? Knowing God is your father and heaven is your home. That's better. That's more important than having power over demons. All right, let's go. So what are we supposed to do? Uh, he, he goes on to say in uh, Acts chapter 13. I'm sorry, Acts chapter 19. How many of you grew up uh, having Bible drills when you were a kid? Vacation Bible school. You know what Bible uh, sword drills are? Yeah, Barbara does. Uh, when I was a kid, we would, in vacation Bible school... We would have our Bibles out in front of us, and you had your you had to hold like this, and you couldn't have your fingers tucked in there. I would be cheating right there, and they'd say, "Okay, Acts 19 something, draw swords," because the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit, right? And we would race to see who could get it. You get a little star on the thing, and it was the way they can they taught us how to find Bible Bible verses. Um, anyway, that was a story to take up when I'm looking for the Bible verse here. It says. And many that believed came and confessed and showed, and showed their deeds. They saw that Paul had power of God. Because what did the, verse, the first verse in 11 say? It said, And God wrought special miracles or extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. So let's break that sentence down. At the hands of Paul, God performed miracles, not Paul. People saw the difference. And they came and they believed because they didn't believe in Paul. They believed in the Lord Jesus that Paul proclaimed. Paul, okay, we, when we have, we have a, a dr power drill that I'm drilling things, the drill can't 
you know, it's, it's not the drill. It's, I mean, the drill is, is enhancing ourselves, right? It has power, and we're using it, but the drill doesn't go, well, I'm awesome, look at me, I'm making this whole thing. No, it's the hand of the man using the drill or the a skill saw. God, we are just, you warned me not to do that, sorry. We are not the person doing the work, right? We're the tool in the hands of the maker, of the creator, of the potter. We're the, we're the clay that's being formed. And so we can't rejoice, a pot can't rejoice that it's an awesome pot, right? And, a, and, a, and, a, and, the, and he may, may make me into a cup. He may make someone else into a really beautiful vase. It doesn't, but that beautiful vase is no better than the cup because God created that person for a specific pur purpose. The point I'm trying to make is they recognize Paul, they recognize what Paul was saying was because it was coming from God and there was not power from men, okay? So what are we to do? We're to realize that there is a war out there. This is a battle that we're dealing with. This is a spiritual warfare all around us. So let's go back to Ephesians chapter 6 again, and we'll start at the beginning. chapter 10, or verse 10. He says, Finally, my brother, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Be strong in the Lord, not be, be strong, buck up, you know, do your best. Be strong in the Lord in the power of his might, okay, Put on the whole armor of God. You put on armor to do what? Armor does what? It protects you. When our police officers, I, I like to say this, you know, I served in the military, and people say, thank you for your service. John served in the military. Thank you for your service. And I, I appreciate that. But I went on a six-month cruise, and I came back, right? And, yeah, it was dangerous. And it, 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 was, it was dangerous, yeah. But there are people, and there are men and women who get up every morning and they put on battle armor. They put on bulletproof vests and they sometimes put on helmets and they drive around in cars and people shoot at them to protect us. The police officers, right? Every day. And I encourage you to say, Does it, is there a police veterans day? Right? Thank you for your service, officer. So credit where credit is due. Put on the armor of God. Armor protects us. Armor doesn't fight the battle for us. It protects us. The armor of God, so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Does it say so that you can defeat the devil? It says so you can stand against his wiles, his schemes. Put on the armor of God. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers, principalities, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against the spiritual wickedness in high places. Therefore, take on to you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done it all, to stand. And then let's talk about the armor we're supposed to put on. Stand, therefore, having your loins girded with truth, the breastplate of righteousness, that's your, your trauma plate here with your Kevlar vest, uh, protecting your heart. Your feet is shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, which means we go out and we, we walk out and we tell the world, okay? the gospel of peace, above all, taking on the shield of faith so that we can quench the darts of the wicked and take on the helmet of salvation and last, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And this is that sword that says the, the, the word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides even the, the piercing of the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit. So it cuts to the bone of the matter. It cuts through the defenses and the uh, 
the d distractions and the, the uh, things that we might say to say, well, I, I didn't really do that wrong, or, or, well, yeah, I was just trying to do the right thing. And the, all the gray areas, it cuts right to the bone. And it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So when we read the word, when we preach the word, it cuts through all the arguments of Satan, all those defenses. And the person who hears the word hears the truth. They may not want to believe, they may not want to admit it, but they hear the truth because the word of God is alive. The word in there, it says quick and powerful. And then in the, in the Greek, that word quick is actually like a spirit, like a, the spark of life. It's alive and powerful. So the only thing that we have that is offensive, all the armor and everything is just to protect us. The only thing we have that is offensive is the sword. Okay, so at the beginning of the, the lesson, it said God was performing miraculous works at the hands of Paul. You guys are all, if, you're, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you are hands that God can use. Not for your gain or glory, not for your aggrandizement, not to say, wow, that was really well put. You did a really good job. Uh, you know, no, God's word is what we're doing. We are the tools, the power tool that God uses. We don't build the building. God builds the building, and he has a plan for us. So we should not boast. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace have you been saved through faith, that not of your works, it is a gift of God, not of anything we could have done so that you can't boast and say, oh, I saved myself. It's a gift of God. So again, the, ver the, the song that Steve and the choir were singing up here, more of you means less of me. That's all. Take it all. It's not about me. It's about God. And we are supposed to be, in, in John chapter 3, he says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. It's right before he said, for God so loved the world. So, he, he's mentioning, he's using the, the, uh, the example of when Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness to, so that people could be healed from their snake bites. And the commandment was for them just to look at the snake and they would be healed. So Jesus saying, if I be lifted up, just like the serpent in the wilderness, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Well, if he be lift, he's got to be lifted up by, they had to, when, when God told uh, Moses to make the snake, he told him how to make the snake, but he told him to put it on a pole. He didn't say, I want you to make it out of a teak wood pole and it's got to be carved in such a way and it's got to have little runes on the side. He just said, put it on a pole. So like there was a guy I knew back in Virginia Beach. He's called Gene, um, Brother Gene we called him. Can't remember his last name. But he said, he, he would always say, any old pole will do. So whether you're short, tall, skinny, fat, ugly, young, old, doesn't matter. All you got to do is lift up Jesus Christ, and that will draw all men unto, unto me. God's going to draw all men unto me, but we have to lift him up. And these kids that went out on the mission trip, they humble me. I grew up in a preacher's home. I had no choice. I, when the doors were open in the church, I had to be there no matter what. It's not that I didn't want to be there. It's just the way it was. And so I went to vacation Bible school, and I learned Bible verses and sword drills. And, you know, I went to mission trips and choir tours. These kids, they humble me. Most of these kids were not made to come to church. They asked to come to church. They wanted to come to church on their own. We're in a new age, folks, when we have children like these guys who come to the Lord Jesus on their own. Uh, that, um, there's a, a saying called, and the little child shall lead them. Has anyone ever heard that? 
and a little child, and it's not John Denver. Okay, it's Isaiah 11:6 talks about in the end times when when things are going, when God finally brings peace on the earth, and a little child shall lead them. Jesus also said, "Unless you come unto me as a as a little child, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven." I look to our young, our youth. They're the future of our church. They're the future of the message going out, and I'm humbled because they're here on their own. Their mom and dad aren't making them come. They're doing it on their own because it's the right thing to do, not for gain or glory, but because it's the right thing to do. So who is the one fighting the battles? God. So the battle belongs to the Lord. Samuel 17. Bring up my other Bible here. Samuel chapter 17, verse 45. One my, my boys this, and my daughter, this is their favorite Bible story. It was with David and Goliath. Goliath says, Come to me, I'll give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. And David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. This day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands, and I will strike you down and remove your head. And I will give the, de the dead, the bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field so that all the world may know there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. And that's the message today. Don't get suckered into these people that are copying formulas. God is not something to be commanded by an incantation or a formula or a magical book where he goes, if you say Allah, Nathrak, Uthlas, Bethu, and, and, it all, and this magic thing will happen. You can't say Shazam, okay, just like the movie, right? I love the movie. It's, it's a great movie. But he goes Shazam, and he gets the power, and he's got superpowers, right? But in the movie, Shazam could be evil or good, right? The good, it's, it's up to the person doing it. The bad guy wanted the power. That's not what it's all about. It's God doing the power, okay? So don't get suckered in by people who are imitating God. Don't try to imitate God. Don't look for the power for yourself, okay? Look to just lift up Christ and do the right thing and speak the word in season at the right time and don't take credit for it because the battle belongs to the Lord. All right, so... Lastly, now that I'm done, thank you, Lord. If there is someone in here who has not accepted Christ, in Romans it says, today is the day of salvation. Don't let it go by. And that doesn't mean you have to come up here and stand in front of everybody. I know some people can be embarrassed by that. But I will give you the plan of salvation. Romans 3.23 says, everyone has sinned. I have sinned. I'm a sinner. I'm the chief sinner. And the wages, the payment for that is death and separation from Christ. And God loved us enough in Romans 5, 8. He said, God loves us while we were sinners. He died for us. And it says in Romans 10, 9, if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth, you, thou shalt be saved. So today is the day of salvation. I urge you not to walk out of here. If you have not accepted Christ, if you can't say, there was a time when I turned to God and said, Lord, be my Lord and Savior. I ask that you not let that time go by. And if you don't want to come up here and talk to me right now, that's fine. You can talk to me afterwards. Pull me aside, and we'll go find a quiet place, and we'll talk to God together.
but I urge you not to let it go by. There's plenty of other people, Steve, John, Elise, um, you know, Jeff and Lily, Cam, he knows right how to do that. We will come to you and, you, and, and we'll get on our knees right next to you because we're just like you. And I don't know the, the, the uh, condition of your heart, but God does, and I think you do. So at this time, I'm going to, are we going to do the songs? Okay, so we're going to pray. Lord, I thank you for allowing me to bring your word today, and it was your word and not my word. Um, Lord, I'm a sinner, and you know it, and I ask for forgiveness for my sins. I ask that uh, this word that we've heard today would, be, would impact people's lives, that they would learn, and they would be eager to apply it to their lives. Um, Lord, if there's someone here that wants to accept you into, into their heart as your Lord and Savior, Lord, make it happen. And if not me, let someone else be there to usher them into your kingdom, Father. Thank you for the blessings you've given us. Thank you for the opportunity to live in a free land where we can worship without fear. Thank you for the hearts of these people and those who prayed today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.